Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast, brought to you by Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairy tale weddings. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward. Each week I feature a different aspect of Disney weddings, from the latest news, information, and money-saving tips, to interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney brides and grooms. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates romance at Disney destinations worldwide. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, I am speaking with recent bride Emily Ivy Cotton about her wedding at Walt Disney World. And Emily had a really cool steampunk theme that went throughout the wedding that I thought you guys would love to hear about. So welcome, Emily. Hi, Carrie. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being on the show. I think this is going to be really instructive for people who want to have a very strong theme and maybe not a theme that you see so much with weddings. So I can't wait to have you share your story. So first of all, how did you guys decide that you were going to have a Disney wishes wedding? To me, there was no question. Disney is a very, if you can dream it, you can do it kind of place. And we wanted something that was very uniquely us. But we recognized it wouldn't be that simple. So although we had kind of both decided already that a Disney wedding was what we wanted, we were engaged for two years. And I spent the entire first year not really talking to the people like around me very much uh, about my wedding. I would talk a lot to the Disney wedding communities and get a lot of feedback from them. And I would obviously talk to my then fiance, now husband a lot. But I didn't talk to my families as much. And I spent that time researching every single possible option that we could have had for a wedding. I looked at stuff in our hometown. We're both from Atlanta. And I looked at stuff in Florida. And I looked at all the different Florida options. We looked at Shades of Green. My husband's in the military. And we looked at Swan and Dolphin and those kinds of places. And it was less about seeing if these were better options and more about making sure that we had done all the research and that we were prepared and had thought through all of the things that we should before we kind of went forward with our idea. Because when you have something that's so non-traditional, we had a non-traditional theme, but we also had a 9 a.m. Monday morning wedding. So we knew that we would face a lot of people who were like, what are those guys doing? Are they crazy? And when you have done the research and you have answers to every single question that someone can come up with, and you're confident in yourself, People start are more confident with you, and they're like, oh, this is not something that they're doing because they're crazy or they're impulsive. They've actually put a lot of thought into this. At one point, I had one of my best friends sit down, and or I had her ask me, like, if I were coming to you saying, I want to have a Monday morning wedding in a theme park, and I want it to be steampunk, what would your concerns be? And what would you say? Like, if you disagreed with it, what would you say? And she, we came up with a list and came up with the answers to all of those things. And the common ones were things like, well, no one's going to come. And, and we came up with answers to that. For me, it was okay. If we had a 20-person wedding, we would get to serve lobster. That was my opinion. Or it's going to be too cost prohibitive. You can't afford it. And we did. We, had a, we got married in October. But we did have, and we, that we talked about with our coordinator, a backup date in the spring that 
If we couldn't afford it, we would go ahead and sign the contract and we could push it to the spring if we needed to, was our plan. And when you have thought those things through, it's a lot easier to sell a non-traditional idea. There's still going to be dissenters, but those dissenters are probably not people you want at your wedding anyway. So that was that was important to us. That's interesting. That's a really good point. And I think a lot of us, when you get engaged, you're just so excited and you start telling everybody and immediately everybody has an opinion. And I like this idea that it's a private decision for you to make and also that you did so much research that, like you say, it prepared you for often the reaction when people find out you're getting married at Disney after they say, oh, is Mickey going to officiate? Is it's for kids? It's too far. It's too expensive. So that's really good advice for couples who are considering it that maybe, you know, keep it under your hat till you figure out if you can really do it and then be able to explain it to people. Yeah, no, that really worked well for us because... We also planned for things like people who are financially contribute get more of a say. What things are we willing to compromise on and what things are we not? Those kinds of things. I could do an entire podcast just on dealing with difficult people in a wedding. <laughs> I feel like an expert at this point. But I did. I had a list of like questions that I thought people might ask. I looked at venues and, and could show definitively that a 50-person wedding in Disney World was the same cost as a 100 150 person wedding in atlanta where we lived it wasn't an appreciable difference um in fact it was cheaper in some ways oh that's interesting one of the appeals to a destination wedding to me is that to me there were three categories of people there were the people who would come no matter what there were the people that you invite to a hometown wedding who will just come because you will get them drunk and then there are the people that really really want to come but for some reason wouldn't be able to, no matter what they did. Or people that you just couldn't invite because your guest list was too strict. And for those people, in that third category, I just sat them down, I explained it to them, and we talked about it and talked about, like, I wasn't offended, and I dealt with, like, uh, one of my sisters couldn't come. And we sat down, and we talked about it, and she loved and supported me, and I love and support her, and she's a teacher, and had just had a baby a few months earlier and couldn't come, and that's okay. Because one of the best decisions I think I made was to decide very early that I would not be offended by anybody that didn't come. As long as my groom showed up, I was not allowed to get upset that anybody else couldn't come. Because it is a big financial ask, especially for your bridal party, especially when 40% of your bridal party lives in other countries like mine did. And so I decided that I wasn't going to be offended. That made me a lot happier because I just communicated with people a lot. I won't be offended if you can't come. I just need you to let me know so that we have accurate numbers because I don't want to pay for your dinner. Right, right. And so then how did they all react when you finally revealed where you guys were going to get married? Our friends were very supportive. Uh, my family was very supportive, but they were worried about money. And with them, what we did was we went to the 2013 Bridal Showcase. And I had my parents sit down with the coordinators there and have them talk through the process because, like, there is a steep learning curve with Disney weddings. It's a lot of information and a lot of, like, well, you can choose this option or that option and what option is best. And that really helped put, like, some perspective on it. My husband's family was less supportive, and that was not unexpected. The fact that we were so prepared made it a lot easier because we, we did have answers to all of the the concerns that they, they brought up. 
But to my husband, Jamie, and I, the importance of an engagement, what you're doing in an engagement is you're kind of setting the boundaries of yourselves as a family unit and establishing yourselves as a family unit. So we had to kind of approach those problems and sit down and have hard talks both with each other and with his family. And it worked out in the end. And they and they came around, I think, in the end. It was difficult for, at times, but they came around. <laughs> That's great. So how many guests ended up making the trip? We had 50. 50 guests. I guess if you're looking for advice for future brides and grooms to do, I knew that the guest list would be the most difficult part of our wedding. And it was. It really was. But what um, one thing we did that helped was after the bridal showcase, actually, we sat in the car and we made a list of all the people that we thought should be invited to our wedding. And then we sent those lists to our families to kind of tweak as they saw fit. To us, that really helps because it avoided being given a list of 100 people for a 50-person wedding from, like, side of the family that we couldn't do because that was outside our scope. We couldn't afford it. And that was really, really useful. And I think that if I, like, one piece of advice I would give any, any bride and groom was even if it's your family who ultimately has the final say and they want to invite you know every third cousin and coworker's brother that that they want to i still think that it's a good idea to sit down and have a list of people that you think should be invited because at least it starts a constructive conversation about the scope of the wedding that you're thinking about and the size of the wedding you're thinking about even if you don't have the final say and we kind of had the final say and the other thing that we did that i thought worked really well was in the at the end of the day I would send invitations to anybody that people wanted me to send them to, but I wouldn't send out invitations until we came to an agreement as to what we would do if we went way over the number, mm. like the number that we were comfortable with. So if you wanted me to send an invitation to, you know, 200 people for our 50-person wedding, I would. But if one party or another went way over their allotted number of people, then we had to come up with a strategy for dealing with that. And that was useful, too, because that kept it kind of reined in and made you focus on, okay, who is actually most important? And that was difficult, but it was worth it. It was much easier than it would have been if we had just said, okay, hand me a list and come back with a list of 400 people for our 50-person wedding. Yeah. So you got 50 people. How many invites did you end up sending out? Our initial invite list was, I think... 90 people. I sent out invitations very early. Our RSVP deadline was June 30th for our October 13th wedding. When we did that, we ended up having a lot of people who had to drop out after RSVPing, yes, for various reasons. But to me, it was still much easier to have a more or less final number very early for planning and budget reasons than it would have been if I'd had a more traditional RSVP deadline. Interesting. Okay, so Shifting gears a little, you guys had a steampunk theme. Did that have any bearing on the locations you chose? Somewhat. We had, our theme was actually a little bit more complicated than that. I don't know if many people know this, but my husband proposed to me via a six-month-long Doctor Who-themed scavenger hunt. (laughs) Whoa. It involved two trips to Disney World and a trip to Universal. So it started out as this, like, journey through time and space the countries of Epcot 
and the jungles of Adventureland and, you know, the desert of Frontierland and, and Hogwarts because Hogwarts. So it's, so our theme was actually like this journey through time and space, but my husband really loves steampunk and I've learned to love it too in the almost six years we've been together. Um, and that's what he wanted to focus on. And actually what sold him on a Disney wedding was when I'd found uh, a steampunk cake that had been done at some point. And when we went to the bridal showcase, he found the chef who had done that cake and talked to him for um, about an hour. <sighs> so that was that was useful. So our, And so we had this like Doctor Who steampunk theme. But we like when you do that in practice, like one of them has to be very strongly dominant. So we did have touches of Doctor Who, mostly in music. And a couple of small things. Our re- one of our readings was Doctor Who. But our steampunk was definitely the more dominant theme. And the locations, yeah, they actually did. Um, because our, our steampunk manifested as kind of a 20,000 leagues under the sea iteration of steampunk. And my husband loves aquariums. So uh, Living Seas was a, was a logical... We didn't even consider any other reception venue than Living Seas. We did look at several ceremony venues. We looked at Corpus Christi Catholic Church because my husband is Catholic, but he decided he didn't want that. We were also, initially, we both really, really wanted the Italy Pavilion because it fit our theme well, and his parents got married in actual Italy, in Florence, in the late 70s. But at that time, when we were researching, the they still had the rules about the photography that you had to use Disney photography in a in park location, and that was really hard for me. It wasn't an actual deal breaker, but it was it was hard for me to swallow. And so we were looking at the wedding pavilion, but as soon as they announced that that you no longer had to use Disney photography for an in park location, then it was Italy all the way. We were sold. That's great. So can you tell me a little bit about how you incorporated your theme, your two intertwined themes, into your day? For the steampunk, we sometimes when you see steampunk weddings, they're very steampunk. And that wasn't what we wanted. We wanted a wedding with steampunk elements as opposed to a full steampunk costume party that happened to have a marriage. We made that distinction pretty quickly. For us, the way we incorporated it, I found really awesome gear-based floral on Etsy, which was really, really cool and really pretty. And I did learn later, although we didn't use it, that Disney floral can incorporate like wires and gears into floral arrangements. We ended up with books as our centerpieces. They can incorporate gears into at least table centerpieces because that's something that, that I talked to them about. But we ended up with fabric flowers that came in not non-natural colors. Other ways... Our, our cake was phenomenal. It was an amazing, amazing steampunk cake. And we really gave artistic license to the Disney chefs to use their creativity and use their imagination. We didn't give them a strict, like, we want our cake to look like this design. We trusted the experts to do their jobs well, and they delivered. And we did that with several things. Other ways, let's see. Christine Dixon, fellow Disney bride, designed my table numbers. Which, which had gears and hidden Mickeys in them. And she did our escort cards, and she also did um, programs. And they, it was really, really nice. Disney has the ability to do dry ice in their beverages, and that was really cool. We were able to do that. But we did it like as a cost savings just for the champagne toast. So our, our champagne toast was smoking, which was pretty cool. And I noticed that although we didn't pay for it, they also had our cocktail. 
It was also smoking. Oh. We had a vintage car that was actually a, we had a Ford Model A that was actually Jamie's birthday present, his 30th birthday present. Hmm. Other than that, we also, one thing I recommend if you want to do something like this was we requested brass or copper chafing dishes for our food. And one thing that our planner told us was that she would request that they include any kind of like steampunk or gear decor that they had. It wasn't guaranteed, but they wouldn't charge us. Mm. So if they had it, they would include it, but they couldn't guarantee it. So we weren't charged anything. And it ended up they had these big gear wall decor that they use for both our reception and our dessert party. It's the other ways. With our dessert party, we, we again, we just trusted the experts to do their jobs. We told them we wanted to stay around a certain budget. We had a steampunk theme and we wanted bread pudding. And so if we had chosen our own, our own menu, it would have been things like cupcakes and adventurous things like key lime pie. But the dessert party menu in, we ended up with included a spoon wall of tastes that included edible gold leaf and nitrogen-infused fireball whiskey ice cream. <laughs> and it, again, included the the gear decor from before. Well, now, is that spoon wall of taste, is that that thing that looks like a Dalek that they showed at the last Bridal Showcase where the spoons sit in this sort of cone? Yes, it is. <laughs> That's totally appropriate for your Doctor Who theme. It was, and it and it was kind of futuristic, and it was kind of steampunk, sort of, and, like, the food was phenomenal, and it was not something that if you'd asked us, hey, what do you want a dessert party, we would have come up with, because it was... But it was wonderful, and it was, we were amazed. What location was your dessert party at? UK Lower. Okay, and did it follow directly after your reception? No, our reception ended at one in the afternoon. Oh, right, right. Because we had a morning wedding, and so our dessert party was at 8.30, I believe. Another thing I want to kind of jump around here, you mentioned that your centerpieces were books. Did you get those from Disney Floral? And where did they get them? And how did you get those done? So actually, we're talking about budget priorities. I actually was okay with not having centerpieces. But uh, my father insisted that we have centerpieces. And so I didn't want flowers. We looked at several options. We looked at tea lights, and we looked at candelabras. And the books... Uh, we're Disney. Disney provided them, and I assume that they have them for props for other places. And we just had a stack of books. Each one was a little bit different, and a couple of tea lights at each table. And it fit our theme well, and it wasn't flowers. <laughs> so, yeah, that it worked well for us, and it looked really good. In the end, I'm glad we did it, although it was a last-minute addition. Interesting. So what were some of the other most and least important aspects where you either splurged or you saved with your budget? Well, all of the things that weren't important to me ended up being important to my dad. Like that and um, upgrading the chairs in the Italy Pavilion. Because the Italy Pavilion's chairs are the black plastic chairs. And Jen Losco, who got married in Italy the day before me, and I had a long and agonizing discussion about... uh, the chairs in the Italy Pavilion. We had originally had the mahogany folding chairs and discovered that it was 50 cents a chair cheaper to get the white ones. So we ended up with white folding chairs, but that wasn't a priority for me. The other thing was we didn't hire a limo. We had the vintage car, but because of the time constraints, that wouldn't come in until we were already in the Italy Pavilion. We started out in the Yacht Club. Oh, another way that we incorporated steampunk was we did our first look at the globe in the Yacht Club lobby. But we did our first look there, and then 
we went over to Italy on the same bus as everyone else because we had kind of a large bridal party. We had five bridesmaids and five groomsmen. So to hire limos for that number of people would be a little cost prohibitive. Where Well, it wouldn't be cost prohibitive so much as it was $100 to add an extra hour to the motor coach that we already had to rent. And then we could fit as many people and photographers and videographers on the on the bus as we needed. That is awesome. I'm always encouraging people to do that. And there's a whole thing about it in my book. And I'm so excited to find somebody who did that. <laughs> yeah. No, the other the other thing was, um, it was funny. And I, I, I'm 100% that this is a fluke. But um, we tried to do what everybody does, which is to take out the pre-reception food and have the pastries as the pre-reception. Mm-hmm. So we had crab cakes and strawberry soup shooters as our pre-reception. And I'd asked my planner to take those out, put the pastries in as the pre-reception, and then add plain Jane's scrambled eggs to our buffet. And that made the price of our buffet go up $5. <laughs> oh, Disney. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no. So we had crab cakes and no scrambled eggs. <laughs> I think I would rather have crab cakes than scrambled eggs. Me too. <laughs> Oh, about the steampunk theme. Other things that we looked at, if people are interested in the steampunk theme and ended up not doing, Disney can do like custom steampunk characters. And they sent me pictures of several like steampunk characters that they could do. And we talked about it for a while, but we decided that was a little bit more costumey than we were doing. But if someone else is having a steampunk wedding, that is an option. There was one other thing. Oh, they can have bubbles in the entrance to the living seas and when you've seen pictures of that before it has these like green plants that hide the the bubble machines but they were talking about doing something that was more like brass pillar something that better fit our theme to hide the bubble shooters if that's something that anybody else was interested in interesting but decor was my lowest priority so which is funny when you have a themed wedding that decor is your lowest priority but it actually was (laughs) This is fascinating. All right, so you had all these great details, an amazing cake. What was your favorite memory of the whole day? Favorite memory of the whole day was undoubtedly, so our ceremony was in Italy in World Showcase, and our reception was in the Living Seas in Future World, and they drove us around to Future World for our reception, and that part is open, and before World Showcase opens, it's really crowded, and they actually walked us through the public part of the aquarium like hundreds of families and like everyone was like yelling congratulations and somebody on the upstairs part just started to cheer and then the whole aquarium started to cheer and I just threw my arms in the air and yelled we're married and it was an absolutely surreal moment we didn't have a photographer there we didn't have a videographer there it was just us and our event guide but it was absolutely the most amazing moment of our entire wedding and both of us agreed (laughs) That's fantastic. Uh, So it sounds like everything went pretty well. Was there anything that did go wrong or just didn't turn out like you expected? I don't suggest that you try to move out of the hotel room you're staying in the morning of the wedding. Oh, no. I had this elaborate plan because I was supposed to stay with my maid of honor and one of my bridesmaids in the hotel the night before. And I had this elaborate plan in my head about how it was going to be okay and it wouldn't be that bad. But my maid of honor ended up not coming to stay with me that night. She ended up staying with her boyfriend that night. And so those plans never got communicated. 
And so they came through. My maid of honor's boyfriend ended up schlepping all of our stuff from the Yacht Club to the Grand Floridian. But a couple of things got lost in the process, including this really awesome steampunk belt for my wedding dress that I'd gotten for the reception that I still don't know the location of. Which was honestly the worst thing that happened at my wedding. And if that's the worst thing that happens, then you're doing pretty well. That's good. Especially when your pictures start at 7 a.m., don't try to move out of your hotel room that day. <laughs> it's just not going to work. Hmm. Now, was there any aspect of the wedding that seemed like a big deal beforehand or you were kind of worried about and then it turned out not to be? One thing I stressed out a lot about um, on the day of the wedding, at least, was if it rains, your dessert party starts 30 minutes earlier. And I was worried about what I would do and like how I would communicate that to my guests if it rained. And to be fair... I, If it had rained, which it didn't, of course, because I worried too much for it to actually rain. I think that I, I, my, my nervous energy about it was enough to communicate that to the people that needed to know. But, um, yeah, that was a weird thing. And it was a small detail that I just latched on to because I was so excited about our really creative dessert party menu that I wanted people to be able to eat it. Well, no, that's understandable. And I think now they do have a hotline that guests can call. They don't really communicate it to guests very well, but there is a number you can call to find out if your dessert party has been moved. Huh. I didn't know that. I don't know. Yeah, it's like buried in the BEO. Nobody knows. (laughs) Uh, So is there anything you would have done differently knowing what you know now? Not really. I'm pretty sure I'm the only bride that isn't already planning a vow renewal in her head. (laughs) I felt like our day was so perfect that I don't want to do it again. Um, not really. That's good. If we could have done anything else, we would have tried to find a way to invite more people. But we wouldn't actually change an aspect of our wedding itself. My husband and I have talked about this. It's like, the only thing that we actually would have done differently, or wish we could have done differently, is we wish we could have invited more people. But the guest list was one of the big things we had to sacrifice for a Disney wedding. And in the end, it was worth it. So you've already given a lot of great tips and advice. Any last things you want to say to future brides and grooms? You think that the money will be the most difficult part of the wedding, but it's not. It's the people. The people are the most difficult part of any wedding. That's one piece of advice. Trust the experts. We did that with our cake, and it went above and beyond our expectations. We did that with our dessert party. We also did that with our DJ. Try very hard not to be disappointed when people that you really care about can't come. And, and look at it as an opportunity for a few more extras. But I think that, that more than that, I think one of the big things is to, for me in particular, to invest in Disney communities. Because particularly coming from the perspective of a military bride, when you invest in the community, not only do you get a lot out of it when you're planning, but you also create a community of friends that doesn't care where you live. And when you're in a situation like I am, where I'm going to be moving a lot in the next couple of years, it's really important for me to invest in those communities because my relationship to those people aren't going to change. And then when I come to a new city, like I'm in now, I have Disney bride friends. I hang out with a lot of more of the Midwestern Disney brides now. And so to me, that's very important because you get a lot out of it. Definitely. Yeah. No, that's a great point. So now is there any place online where my listeners can go to read about or see photos of your day? We actually have our own blog that is not as updated as it should be. It's Ivy Cotton Wedding Blog, I think. 
because we're super creative. <laughs> but we're working on that. And we all, I also have a Pinterest board of our pictures that kind of shows a lot of the more steampunk elements of our day. Okay, well, I will put links in the post for this show on DisneyWeddingPodcast.com. Cool. Awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to share all of these great tips and ideas for steampunk weddings and just tons of great advice for anyone who's planning a wedding, especially at Walt Disney World. So thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate the Disney Wedding Podcast on iTunes so that others will find it. You can also send your comments, questions, and suggestions to info at DisneyWeddingPodcast.com. Past shows are available in iTunes and on the show's website. And for instant answers to all your Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings questions, check out Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons Guide, available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at passporter.com weddings.asp or in print at passporter.com and amazon.com. <laughs>